Hey there, Hurly Burly fam. It's Aubrey here letting you know that we've received some emails from you all saying that some of our streaming services that provide the Hurly Burly Shakespeare show to you are only providing the most recent five episodes, which sucks. But until we figure that situation out, you can always catch every single one of our episodes at www.hurlyburlyshakespeareshow.com. Now back to your regularly scheduled podcast. Hear ye, hear ye, word nerds. Be forewarned. This podcast contains saucy language of the modern and early modern variety. So plan your listening accordingly. Or don't. That's a choice you can make. Don't say we didn't warn you. Oh, well, also, since we've been recording so far in advance, I forgot to wish you happy birthday on the episode that was gonna air on your birthday so happy fucking belated birthday what episode was airing on my birthday is it juliet oh or no that's a no wrong that's not a tolerable one is it a shitty one it better not be fucking something shitty what is it let's find let's look no um i I have the schedule oh it's chase made this coming out on your birthday no. Oh, no, it's not this one. It is Chase Made. It's Pericles is yeah. coming out two days yeah. before my birthday. Chase Made is right. coming out on your birthday. That's... So. I'll allow it, although it should have been fucking Pericles. That's on me. I I can always switch it around. No, it's <laughs> fucking fine. I'm gonna just... It's fine. Fucking Really, though? Fine. I really could. No, it's fine. Shakespeare show. We are your hosts, Jess Hamlet and Aubrey Whitlock, and together we are Hamlet. And this week it's Perklers two hundred one. <laughs> the fuck! <laughs> Yay, Pericles! I love it. I love him so much. Yay. I'm so excited to talk to you about Pericles. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that you enjoy this show at least thirty five percent as much as I am about to enjoy this show, and mm-hmm. come back for more. <laughs> Yeah. Um, So this is a 201 level episode. And when we do 201s, things are a little bit different. Right. But they're getting a little less different since 201 is kind of the name of the game this season. That's true. But but so in a 201 episode, we think that you probably know the play, uh, at least tacitly at this point. So we don't do a synopsis. If, however, you feel like you would like a refresher on Pericles or um, you just are tired of not hearing our voices in your ears and you therefore need to listen to us more. That's uh, valid. You can go back uh, to Pericles 101, which is in our uh, season one catalog somewhere. Yeah. Yep. It's towards the end of season one. It's a latter episode of season one. I only remember that because it was like the spring of our favorite plays and we did like All's Well and Coriolanus and Pericles within like a month that season. Did we? Didn't yeah, we, we do did. Coriolanus we did like a ton. No. Mm-mm. Are you sure? It was, yeah, it was spring. Are you sure? Yes. I'm going to go check the recording schedule because I, mean, I don't can. fucking believe you. You can, but it was, right. I remember that because it brought me a lot of joy. It was the latter half okay. of our season All one. Right. It was in the spring. You're fucking right. Yeah. You're yeah. right. Yeah. Fine. I, you're right. I remember you're the right. things that you're bring right. me joy. So, yeah. Anyway, for a 201 level episode, we want to go narrow and deep on a couple of topics relating to the play. And today we're talking about traveling while female and how online study guides royally fuck up this play. Oh, girl, you know, I can't wait to hear about that. Yeah. Well, oh, shit. Yeah. Oh, shit. I have feelings I'm gonna have about so it. So many fucking feelings. Yeah, I know. Alrighty. I know. Um, <laughs> So to get things started, like we often do, let's talk about some rhetoric. Um, In our 101 episodes, what we have done is we discuss definitions of rhetorical devices and give examples. But at the 201 level, we like to revisit a device that we talked about previously in a 101 and then discuss the uses or popular, popular, possible (laughs) characterizations of that particular device in performance in that play, this play. 
Pericles. Specifically Pericles. Yes. All 201 level episodes when we revisit rhetoric, we talk about Pericles no matter what the episode yes. is. <laughs> Pericles! <laughs> okay. And there she is. Okay. <laughs> There's Pericles! the Pericles loving chest. Pericles! Yeah, there Pericles, we go. Pericles, <laughs> In our 101 episodes, we say over and over again that identifying rhetoric helps us understand a character or give us a line reading. Um, but to understand what that really means to be able to like answer that question of what does that mean, um, we need to look at the specific context in which a particular device is used and think about the type of device it is. This week, uh, we are revisiting apposition in honor of the title character, Pericles, awesome. who is an appositive person. What the so, fuck is apposition? <laughs> Apposition, um, it's a it's an additive, it's an addition type of rhetoric. Um, it's the addition of an explanatory or a descriptive element that is el- elephant element that is not strictly necessary for clarity. So if you're throwing elephants around willy nilly in your sentences, you're using too much apposition. No, um, okay. Anything yes. that is not an elephant is irrelevant. Get out. I shan't! Get, <laughs> get out right now. Shan't. Uh, so anyway, apposition is often um, parenthetical in its additive nature. Um, and you'll, you'll, ten, you'll generally find that most um, addition types of rhetoric um, slow the tempo of the speaker. They slow them down for whatever reason. Either, you know, maybe a character is stalling. Maybe they are, I don't know, in some other way. What's the word I'm looking for? Stewing. <laughs> um, marinating in their feelings and they want to soak it all in uh, so they slow down and they add in descriptions that are you know like these are the types of dis- additions that are not they're not necessary for the clarity of the sentence or for context they're just added in they're just thrown in um, and if apposition were a kingdom that your boy Pericles could sail to, he would instantly plant a flag on it and make himself its king. Because Pericles is a really descriptive dude. And I have a few examples that I want to give you just to show you what I mean. So I'm going to start in Act 1, Scene 2. It's basically the second speech Pericles ever makes. It's about um, what's-her-face, the daughter, Antiochus's daughter, the uh, rape victim, the incestuous rape victim. I'm, I'm looking at my new Oxford. It is line 13. See where she comes. Act 1, scene 2. What's the first line of Act 1, scene 2? Young Prince of Tyre, you have at large received the danger of the task you undertake. Dun, dun, yeah. dun, Antiochus. Um, our texts divide that in different places. So I have literally no idea where you are. Oh, sorry. Um, New Oxford. New Oxford is doing this thing with this text that mm-hmm. has both just the scene and also Act One. So, like, I'm seeing in the corner now where it was shadowed before Act okay. One, Scene One. They don't uh-huh. count Gower as part of Act One, Scene One. Okay. But they do also call Gower Scene One, which is annoying. Okay. Sorry. So, right. so one one. One one. In most texts, most Perfect. standardized okay. texts. Got it. One one. With you. All right. One one. Yeah. Okay. Great. Sorry about see, that. See where she goes. See, you guys, additions matter. Textual yep. variations. Okay. Yep. Uh, okay. So Pericles says, listen and listen for all of these added in descriptors that are not necessary. Okay. See where she comes, apparelled like the spring, graces her subjects and her thoughts the king of every virtue gives renown to men. Her face, the book of praises, where is read nothing but curious pleasures, as from thence sorrow were never raised, and testy wrath could never be her mild companion. You gods that made me man and sway in love, that have inflamed desire in my breast to taste the fruit of yon celestial tree or die in the adventure, be my helps, as I am son and servant to your will, to compass such a boundless happiness." So there's a, when he's describing her in there, there's lots of added, added on descriptors. Can yeah. you, not for them, but for me, can you go back to line 18 that starts with sorrow uh-huh. and read that, just that single line? Sorrow were ever raised and testy okay. wrath. 
great. You said never, and mine says ever. Did I say I never like, before? You, you did say never. Is that what happened? But, yeah, it, which is fine. I was just like, that's a fucking Sorry. weird textual variation. So it's, I think it, I, don't, I don't think it matters for nope, them. Nope, that's just me not reading carefully. For me, <laughs> I was interested. Okay, carry on. Sorry, that no, that was just me not reading carefully. Um, okay, so then later in that same scene where he really starts to figure out the meaning of that super obvious riddle, mm-hmm. he says, and this is at about line 123 or so, uh, how courtesy would seem to cover sin when what is done is like an hypocrite. The witch is good in nothing but in sight. If it be true that I interpret false, then were it certain you were not so bad as with foul incest to abuse your soul, where now you're both a father and a son, by your untimely claspings with your child, which pleasure f- pleasures fits a husband, not a father, and she an eater of her mother's flesh by the defiling of her parents' bed, and both like serpents are, who though they feed on sweetest flowers, yet they breed, yet they poison breed. Antioch, farewell, for wisdom sees those men blush not in actions blacker than the night, will shew no course to keep them from the light. One sin I know another doth provoke. Murder as Murders as near to lust as flame to smoke. Poison and treason are the hands of sin, I and the targets to put off the shame. Then, lest my life be cropped to keep you clear, by flight I'll shun the danger which I fear. So... Mr. Parenthetical, yeah, Mr. Descriptor, even in the incestuous description. I mean, can we I talk caramba. about, and she an eater of her mother's flesh by the defiling oh. of her parents' bed? Yikes! Must we Yikes. talk about it? It's gross. We don't need to talk about it. I'd forgotten. I'd forgotten how gross it is. It is. It's God, it like skin crawly. Okay. Like, so who doesn't love an incest play? Okay, carry on. Yeah. Yeah, no, but I but I think um I think it's worth pointing out that the that the descriptor the scripter duh, Jesus Christ. The descriptors you are pointing out that are making our skin crawl right now, I think are the reason for these additions, right? Like mm-hmm. there's something, there's something Pericles, not only like, is it necessary because we, the audience are hearing, uh, we are processing his thoughts through his, you know, spoken words, right? We're sort of seeing things through Pericles's lens when he describes in that way, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so it's not just, it's not just whatever spectacles created in production. It's that like we are hearing the way Pericles is filtering all of that information, which I think is useful when we're, when we're looking at something like apposition, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe, maybe what I mean to say is that is what apposition seems to be for right. in this sense, like this, this sort of parenthetical addition to stuff. And if you look through basically any time, I have a bunch of other examples, which we can do. I want to actually skip my Helicanus one because it's nowhere yeah. near as interesting as Marina and Thaisa. Um, but basically, anytime Pericles starts to speechify in this mm-hmm. play, he is a positive. Right. Um, just kind of all the time. It seems to be his thing. Um, yeah. I would say if you want other strong examples of it, I would say go to like 1 3, where he's talking to Helicanus about his. Um, is adventures with Antiochus? Yeah, it also um, might be visit, one two, uh, depending on your text. <laughs> right, <laughs> depending on what text you're looking at. Yep. Um, also visit the scene where um, Thaisa dies. Hear my air quotes really strongly. Where Spoilers. she dies at sea, giving birth to Marina. Come on now, this is a two hundred one. We're assuming people know the play. Still. Uh, <laughs> Um, but his his descriptions of the dead Thaisa are right. particularly a positive, and then his reunion with both Marina and Thaisa in Act Five, um, yeah. where he goes back into his flowery parenthetical descriptions. Um, so if you're looking for those, but basically, like I said, this seems to be one of the major traits of this character, um, which then you know, as the actor playing this character or someone studying this character, ask yourself why? Why is he doing that? Why is he slowing himself down? to to revel or foment these particular moments um did i use the word foment correctly you did i think okay good (laughs) 
<laughs> Let's hope so. Yeah, but also, I'm sure someone will tell us if that yeah. was wrong. And then we'll issue a correction, and yep. it's fine. And we'll be like, yeah. sometimes we say things that are wrong. Sometimes Aubrey misuses big SAT words. So meant. Such a good word, though. It is a good word. I should use it more often. Um, so anyway, that is our uh, rhetoric revisited for this episode. You're welcome. Tits. I love it. <laughs> so let's visit Jess's bag. Tell yeah. us about traveling while female. Oh, I'm going to tell you about traveling Please while female. Please do. Uh, I'm intrigued alert. just by this topic title. Don't, don't do it, because if you're female oh. and you travel, bad shit will happen. Uh, right. If okay. you find yourself in an early modern play and ah, you travel while female, yes. bad shit will happen. Also, yes. probably just like anywhere in the world, because yeah. the world sucks and fuck the patriarchy. Um, yeah. Let me tell you about traveling. Please do. Whilst female. Great. So in the 101 episode, right, I talked about shipwrecks. Uh, particularly in this play, maybe I talked about a couple other ones. Anyway, so um, the vast majority of work on shipwrecks in early modern drama revolves around weather and Shakespeare. These are the this this is when we talk about it uh, is if we're talking about Shakespeare or if we're talking about like eco criticism, it comes up. Um, the two most frequently cited plays are The Tempest and Pericles. King Lear is a close third. So there are two scholars. Um, Daniel Victus and Peter Holland, mm -hmm. who consider shipwrecks within the genre of travel slash journey plays, because early modern drama is not segmented enough into just comedy, history, tragedy, right. romance. Like, let's also have the genre of travel plays. Let's have the journey plays. Yeah, right. Set Which... to the soundtrack of the band Journey. Oh my fucking god. Can you just fucking imagine for one hot second Pericles with Don't Stop Believing in the background? Yes. Can you just? Immediately. Yes. Oh my I can. fucking. I've never Marina wanted anything more. Marina is just a more. small town girl living oh in a lonely god. world. Oh my god. Oh my god. Okay, wait. Okay, so, okay. She took but the like, midnight boat to anywhere. Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my god. Okay, okay, okay. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> I'm so into this. Okay, so then what's his ass? Lysimachus. He's yeah. just a city boy who was born yeah. and raised in South Tarsus or where the fuck ever he's from. Wherever the fuck he's from. I and don't know where they've ended up at this point, but it's not Detroit. Took, no, but he took the midnight train going anywhere. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah, I he did because he was a man whore. He whored in a around. Smoky room. Smell of yep. wine and cheap perfume yeah it was called a brothel <laughs> that smoky room was the brothel it fucking was though oh my god yeah Wait, it was okay okay so is don't stop believing just an extended meditation on george wilkins and william shakespeare's pericles yes Yes. Yes. yes I mean, is. I think Good. we need to Great. like email the band to confirm. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think so. I think we're gonna dig up a Shakespeare scholar mm. in the band Journey, mm. and that is what we will find. Well, yep. listeners, you heard it here yep. first. We have cured Shakespeare. Yeah. Set it to Journey. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> what oh were you going God. to say before oh I got us off track? God. I'm so sorry. Oh my fucking God. I, I'm, I'm just, I'm obsessed. And I, I kind of don't want to talk about travel plays and I just want to talk about journey. <laughs> okay. Um, so Victus refers to shipwrecks as a conventional romance device. While also he points out that these moments were demonstrative of quote, the real and present danger undertaken by long distance travelers in the early modern period, right? If you are mm -hmm. an early modern traveling long distance is fraught. You yes. with me? Great. Okay. Yes. So Peter Holland, on the other hand, navigates the connection between travel and place in these plays and how both travel and place are tried tied to recognition, which is a staple of romance plays that, quote, gives a purpose for a journey. A smaller part of his argument is that to be female, quote, makes travel unsuitable. Okay. 
Thaisa is a really good case study of this, um, mm-hmm. and I'm gonna I'm gonna come back to her in just a second. But I I need to talk us through a shipwreck first. Okay. Okay, so the play's fourth sea voyage ushers in the second shipwreck, although it is the first one to be staged for the audience, mm-hmm. and Gower, our um, chorus figure, sets yes. the scene for this in his prologue to Act 3, here's part of that speech. Their vessel shakes on Neptune's billow, half the flood, half their keel cut, but fortune's mood varies again. The grizzled north disgorges such a tempest forth that, as a duck for life that dives, so up and down the poor ship drives. The lady shrieks and, well anear, does fall in travail with her fear. And what ensues in this fell storm shall for itself itself perform. Mm. I love how he rhymes. Mm-hmm. So the first scene of Act 3 opens with a maritime stage direction um, that is sort of a callback to one that starts at uh, the top of Act 2. This one is Enter Pericles on Shipboard. Uh-huh. And thus begins 70 lines of storm-tossed action that k- changes the course of the play and leads to the play's more literal baptisms and rebirths sort of at the end, right? With Marina coming back and Thaisa coming back. Um, Thaisa apparently dies in this storm while delivering Pericles' daughter Marina, and the mariners insist that Thaisa's body be, quote, scarcely coffined in the ooze, which, like, such a good line. Can we talk about the ooze? Right. So scarcely coffined in the ooze in, in order to quiet the storm and make safe passage possible. Because to have a female shipboard is bad luck, as anyone who has seen Pirates of the Caribbean knows. Yep. Your vajay is instantly unlucky at sea. Yep. I don't know what that's it's, about. It's because all women hold the power of uh, the weather in their vaginas. Oh, right. Yeah, because the moon and the tides and shit, right? Mm-hmm, 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 yeah, mm-hmm, we mm-hmm. scary bitches at sea. Yes, and uh, women without vaginas carry that power of the weather in their back pockets. Right, yeah. Because they have pockets. Mm-hmm. on their back where they carry the weather okay mm-hmm. uh so <laughs> marina's birth at sea brings her life forth in a tempest and her watery baptism is immediate and tempestuous mm. racked with grief over the loss of Thaisa, pericles ship limps towards tarsus to leave marina in the care of cleon and dionysa right so that's where we are yep while pericles is the character who spends the most time in the water in this play Thaisa is the one who most literally undergoes the cycle of rebirth at sea. Giving birth at sea in the midst of a storm takes the life out of Thaisa for a moment, and she's given up for dead, sealed in a coffin, and tossed overboard, you know, at the top of Act 3. Right. She is then rescued from her watery tomb at Ephesus by the paraclete Saramon, or maybe Caramon, depending on what you're going to do with that sea. Um, And she regains a half-life as a votarist to Diana. She serves the goddess for the rest of the play, forgotten by the audience until Pericles and Marina, reunited, stumble upon her in the temple at Ephesus while giving thanks to Diana for their own reunion in Middling. There's so many goddamn places in this play. Yep. When Thaisa is faced with her husband and daughter, she faints and awakens to full joy in her family restored to her. Though her oceanic recovery is, at this point, 14 years in her past, it still contributes to the second part of her rebirth here. Having been borne up on the waves instead of sucked into their depths, she survives to reclaim her birthright and her family at the play's end. That's where we are. Now let's talk about right. being female in travel and traveling. Yeah. Yeah. So. Thaisa's trajectory in the play supports Peter Holland's claim that being female makes travel unsuitable. Holland supports his claim with an example from Haywood's The Fair Maid of the West, in which a woman's chastity is under threat, but Thaisa's unsuitability manifests as a weakening of her physical condition. The play's chorus, Gower, indicates that the sea travel and storm cause Thaisa to go into labor, labor and deliver Marina early. So even in supposed death, Thaisa is not fit for traveling as the sailors demand her body be removed from the ship immediately. Uh, The infant Marina and her nurse Lycorida are also subsequently removed from the ship as they make towards Tarsus. So, essentially, if you are a lady and you travel in early modern drama, it sucks to be you because maybe you'll die or not die and then maybe you'll be tossed over uh, and it will not go go, go well for you. 
Are you with me so far? Yeah. Great. Yes. Okay, so we see this in other plays as well, not just Pericles, right? Um, Imogen, on her travels towards Milford Haven, runs into all kinds of bad shit. Uh, Celia complains endlessly yep. about their flight yep. into the Forest of Arden. Viola encounters trial and tribulation after surviving a shipwreck. The mom, in Comedy of Errors, has a similar trajectory. Uh, also, we see women encountering troubles on their travels in The Sea Voyage and The Custom of the Country, which are both uh, Fletcher plays, one with Massinger and one with Beaumont. Um, also, The Fair Maid of the West, which is Haywood, The Jovial Crew, which is Richard Brome, and Musidorus, which is Anonymous. And these are just the ones that I could think of off the top of my head in 30 seconds this afternoon. <laughs> That's really all I have to say is like, yeah. hey. Well, there's also Baby Perdita's shipwreck that she barely survives in the winter's right. tale, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She gets off the ship and then the ship is destroyed mm-hmm. or something to that effect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know? Yeah, I think a storm is brewing as they right. dock and yeah. uh, disgorge their female yeah. cargo. I don't know why yeah. I just used disgorge. That was a gross word to talk about. Such a good word, though. <laughs> a baby. <laughs> Disgorged of the baby. Yes. Ugh. Yeah. Get yeah. your ocean babies out the door. And by out the door, I mean off the ship. Yeah. So, like, it's a thing. It's a trope. It comes up. Um, Why does being female make you unsuitable for travel? Because being female makes you unsuitable for everything in early modern drama because the patriarchy. Yeah. Yeah. Just another cautionary tale for the ladies to stay put. I mean, shit, you can even see it in Midsummer. Like, the two women go into the forest Mm -hmm. and they barely come out. Yeah. They don't come out unscathed for sure. So yeah, it's not even in the, know, the journey plays that this happens. They get, it's <laughs> fucking in every play. Yeah, it's everywhere. You know, they, yeah. they get hit with like psychotropic drugs and they're running right. around in the forest and like tripping. Yeah. You know, I guess like the moral of the story is if you are a lady, stay in one spot. Yeah. Don't go anywhere. Don't Certainly move. not without a male escort. If you are a lady, what you should do is get your best friend to turn you into a statue and then just stay that way for yeah. 16 years until your yeah. husband has sufficiently repented for his bullshit and he comes back and is yes. like, oh, you're warm. Let's smooch and end the play. Yeah. Fuck Leontes. It's fine. I taught Pandosto <laughs> today, so I'm like all riled up. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. So. So. mm -hmm. Hashtag the patriarchy. Hashtag don't be a lady. I don't know. (laughs) Don't travel while female. Yeah. You know, which like like, sadly is still a precaution that you have to take. Like today. Let me just say I traveled this weekend. I got on a plane. I got on two different planes while being female and both planes were fucking delayed. So it's still shitty to travel while female. (laughs) (laughs) Did did they try to eject you from the plane? Like because it was delayed? Did they think it was your fault? Were the (laughs) (laughs) was the the flight crew overly superstitious? (laughs) The second flight, like they, they started to board us. They had to take us to a they bust us to the plane because it was a little plane so they bust us to the plane and then they left us on the bus for a goddamn hour and then took us back to the tournament oh, god it was a fucking nightmare because I'm of so all sorry. the vaginas yeah yeah i think there's like a critical mass of vajay yeah right couldn't <laughs> all right ladies and gentlemen about... this is your captain speaking we have a critical mass of vaginas <laughs> We're going to have to turn this plane around, taxi back down the tarmac. <laughs> Thank you for flying American Airlines. Oh my god, I love flying American Airlines. <laughs> yes. Anyway, tell me about uh, online homework fucking okay. up this play. Yeah. So, so I, I and I've told you this, you know, off the air. I was struggling to find a topic I wanted to talk about. Um, so I went, you know, where the kids would go, as they say. Uh, I went online and I was like looking for sort of homework help yeah. or like what, you know, what other venues had to say about Pericles where, you know, something I could just like grasp onto. What I didn't expect was that I was going to grasp onto how idiotic they were to talk <laughs> on this podcast about. So here's the thing. Online homework helpers do a thing. They provide a service 
for learners, for people new to a work of literature. Um, the problem is they uh, oversimplify. They can be reductive. And they tend to screw some stuff up. And when it comes to, like, Romeo and Juliet, I don't care so much because, like, everybody right. knows that story. You right. know what I mean? But, like, when it comes to a weird text like Pericles that almost didn't make it into the folio to begin with and like we like, didn't, didn't it, make it into the it folio didn't, to begin with right, yeah. it comes in, in yeah, the didn't make it into the third maybe right yeah didn't make it into the first folio at all um, and it's a collab between this guy George Wilkins um, and Shakespeare who George Wilkins I found out um, just by reading the notes in my new Oxford apparently got arrested for kicking a pregnant lady in the belly yeah one he did. Time? We, we talked about this in the what 101. a guy yeah oh we did okay yeah, well you were, it's you were angry about it then too I'm remembering I'm remembering it afresh um, uh, my mind is like a gold I'm like a goldfish I remember you know 10 minutes yeah. of short-term memory that's about all I got so um so anyway, welcome to Pericles. No, I'm kidding. Um, so I, I found uh, some some quote analyses. You know how like you go on a thing like SparkNotes or CliffsNotes.com, um, and they have different sections for stuff. And and I wanted to look at their analyses of this play that's already weird and already kind of tough to to understand or to to get a grasp of mm -hmm. so this is what spark notes has to say yes. in their analysis Tell um, me. and i'm just i'm just gonna read it to you <clears throat> and then we can and then we can talk about it good in a totally level-headed not at all biased or pedantic <laughs> way <laughs> okay sure so from sparknotes.com Pericles himself seems without personality, largely because Shakespeare does not delve into the workings of his psyche as he did with characters in the tragic plays he wrote immediately before. Overall, the play suggests that the collection of miseries suffered by Pericles' family ultimately leads to reward. In this structure of suffering leading to happiness, the play fits the genre of tragicomic romance. Tragicomedy is modeled on the Felix culpa, the, quote, fortunate fall, unquote, of Adam and Eve that led to the coming of Christ. Pericles and his cohorts, oh, wait for it, live in a pagan world where even the goddess Diana becomes a character. No, she fucking following doesn't! <laughs> Following a let's just let me get through this before you start screaming. I can't. Following a classical model, the play emphasizes long periods of sufferings, perilous sea journeys, families split by distance and apparent death, followed by spiritual rebirths and eventual reunions. Yet the complex plot is unwoven at the end to reveal a version of Christian providence masquerading as the workings of the Greco-Roman gods. The trajectory from suffering to triumph is Christian in content. Without the significance of faith, Pericles' sufferings may seem arbitrary. Tragic occurrences seem unconnected and unrelated and at times nonsensical. For example, Pericles' reasons for leaving Tyre seem vague and his decision to leave Marina at Tarsus is unexplained. Not true. Why doesn't Dionysa just send Marina back to Tyre instead of killing her? <sighs> Why doesn't Pericles notice that Thaisa is still alive? What the fuck? All the suffering he endures inspires little reflection on the nature of justice. Pericles explains foggily that he need that he feels he must continue on and endure, but not out of any sense that divine providence is at work. What Rather, his sufferings fuck? seem like a catalog of secular misfortunes. What the fuck? What the fuck? What the fuck? What the fuck? What what the fuck? What the fuck? What the fuck? Pericles' reasons for leaving Tyre seem vague because fucking no, because there's a goddamn assassin after him that has successfully integrated yes. his court. Ya bitches, it's fucking spark notes. What the fuck? What yeah. the fuck? What the fuck to all of this? It's wrong like, and I'm angry. Like I said, it's reductive. <sighs> it feels like the the folks who wrote this did not read the text very carefully themselves. The wow. So like, and they are, you know, Sparknotes is like a huge, they're like a big name with big name recognition with um, actual, you know, paperback resources and also a ton of online resources like, like guiding young minds. And you know what? Kids, let me just listen to your Auntie Aubrey for a minute. Like if you need homework help, just come to us. 
babies, just come to us. Also, do your goddamn homework. Just read the text yourself and, like, think your thoughts about it and make notes about it. But also, like, come to us if you can't do that or if you don't want to do that or if you feel like what you're doing isn't enough. Come to us, please. Because, like, we have degrees in this shit. And we actually read the text, first of all. Why doesn't Pericles notice that Thaisa is still alive? Why doesn't Romeo notice that Julia is still alive? Right. Why doesn't any goddamn character in early modern drama notice that any other goddamn character in early modern drama is still alive? Because it's called drama, you dum-dums. It's dramatic irony. Jesus Christ. (laughs) That's the whole point. Oh my fucking... I'm so... It is 8.22 in the evening. I have to get up at 6.30 and I am way too ramped up. (laughs) You guys can't see this, but I can. Jess has like crazy eyes coming at me right now. I'm so mad. I like... I am not teaching Pericles, but I want to take this into my classroom and be like, listen the fuck up. Yeah. You bitches. So it gets a little more entertaining from there. Would you like to hear what schmoop.com no, has to say? I don't want to hear any more, but like, I mean, I think you me. would, though. Lay it on me. All right. Okay. So this analysis, um, schmoop has a slightly different format. So when you go to their analysis of this play, first, you just get like a sort of a list of categories, which if you click on them, you can get some stuff more in depth. So I'm just going to read some stuff out to you and we can explore a couple of things. Okay. So first of all, at the top of the list, it says literary devices in Pericles, Prince of Tyre, symbolism, imagery, allegory. Yeah, no shit, motherfucker. That's in every thing. Shut up. Okay. Um, that's just, sorry. <laughs> um, setting, genre, um, and see, Schmoop makes a big deal, it seems, uh, this is the impression that I get, of like being really colloquial. Mm-hmm. So here's here's a, a sampling of, of what they have to say about genre. This is a pretty big deal, ladies and gents. Pericles is Shakespeare's first crack at the genre of romance. No, not the hot and heavy handcuffs and roses, Fifty Shades of Grey style of romance that we're used to hearing about these days. We're talking about a genre of plays popular in Renaissance England. These plays were neither tragedies nor comedies. They were something in between. Blah, 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 blah. Loss and recovery. Long wandering journey. Elements of magic and or the fantastic. That is how they describe that. So let me go back. I mean, back. they're, they're but, right about Raumont's yeah. in that uh, way yeah. anyway. But like JSC. Yeah, I'm not saying they're wrong. But it also, I think, I just don't like their tone. Okay. Um, they also have categories <laughs> saying, like, tone, writing style. Um, we've said it before, and we'll say it again, folks. Shakespeare's plays tend to be written in mostly iambic pentameter. Yeah. Um, what's up with that title? What's up with that ending? The Tough-O-Meter. They have a Tough-O-Meter. What? Um, <laughs> in their analysis, their tuffometer, we've got your back. With the tuffometer, you'll know whether to bring extra layers or Swiss Army knives as you summit the literary mountain. They give it an eight on a scale of one to ten, ten being the toughest. Uh, it, it says, for that reason, they give it an eight. Uh, if you're willing to suspend your disbelief, this play is a piece of cake to read compared to some other Shakespeare. What? And it's a ton of fun to watch on stage. If you're not willing to suspend your disbelief, you might have a hard time getting through Pericles. But seriously, you'd be missing out. But okay, unlike this play, we'll be real for a second. Colon. This is Shakespeare, after all, so the language isn't easy. These and thous, you bet. But Pericles is also really fun, so all the work you'll need to put into understanding it may not even seem like work. Okay, okay. Can we just pause there? Yep. So, yep. <laughs> if they're giving it an eight out of ten on the tough, uh-huh. but it's a piece of cake compared to other Shakespeare if you can suspend your disbelief. Uh-huh. What? What? Yeah. And also like what is this a piece of cake compared to? Yeah, I don't know. Like what play is harder than this? Troilus and Cressida maybe? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I don't the know. They they give no context. So what what like, I just read was all I got. Yeah. What the <laughs> so, fuck? What the fuck? Yes. Yes. Schmoop. I know. Schmoop 
also, in their plot analysis, they go with a strict, like, Aristotelian model of plot so that that pyramid that pyramid that everybody gets in english class won't get you anywhere with shakespeare it really won't um also like in the words of augusto boal um Mm. (laughs) my 20th century Mm. guide uh it's oppressive it's an oppressive system um and it's uh coercive so anyway, when you're when you're being coerced into catharsis is sort of the whole thing. I'm not a fan of the Aristotelian dramatic model. Nope. Um, but they uh, here's how they define these these moments. Okay, exposition. Pericles looks into uh, looks to score a princess and start a family. Rising action. Incest! Exclamation point. Pericles runs for his life. Climax. Pericles' wife appears to die giving birth to their daughter. How is that the climax? Falling action. Pericles hears that his child is dead. And resolution, what? or denouement, is the family reunion. That, like... Uh, uh. Like I said, oversimplified, no. trying to squeeze a square peg into a round hole, or vice versa. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. I, I know. Um, yeah. Ooh. Oh, they also give a steaminess rating. Please, let's talk about the steaminess rating. Yeah. Okay. Um, steaminess rating. Exactly how steamy is this story? They rate it R. What? The play. Here's why. The play opens with Gower telling us about an incestuous affair between King Antiochus and his daughter. Fortunately, he doesn't give us explicit details. Later in the play, Marina is kidnapped by pirates and sold to a brothel, where she refuses to give up her V card and is threatened with rape. Yep. The brothel scenes are pretty bawdy and disturbing, a lot like what we see in Measure for Measure. No. Mostly, there's a lot of coarse talk about sex and sex trafficking. That's why we're giving this play an R rating. Go to themes if you want to know more. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. The brothel scenes in Measure are not like the brothel scenes in this play. Ain't no clacking stewed prune dishes in this play, okay? Nope. It's just rape. Rape, 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 rape. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's just a, a taste of what you would get from schmoop.com. Uh, and then my personal favorite, and by favorite I don't mean favorite at all, uh, from gradesaver.com. Uh, and they have they didn't really have an analysis so much as they just broke it down into themes. Um, so here, here they go. Here are the themes, the major themes that they think uh, encapsulate Pericles. Um, In a world without free will, that's the heading title of this right here, free will does not exist even as a theoretical concept in the world of this play. Pericles, almost from his words, declares, makes this declaration. Oh, I love this. Don't go to homework help from people who can't form a sentence. Um, Pericles, almost from his words, declares, makes this declaration when he vows to the gods, I am son and servant to your will. As Leonine is prepared to murder Marina for no particularly good reason, he gives her pause to say her prayers, content in the knowledge that if the gods have not willed that she survive, it's not his responsibility to change the course of destiny. Throughout, characters accept their fate as fate and trust in the gods that whatever will be, will be. This is a world where predetermination is the reigning spiritual philosophy and nothing man does can change their fate. Mm, Okay. Hang on. It gets better. They have, there are three categories for these themes. Theme two, blessed curses and cursed blessings. One of the reason for this rejection of free will and and resigned acceptance that fate is predetermined may be that it is all but impossible to gauge the destiny, the destiny, Uh, because it so often wears a mask. Appearance, in other words, are deceiving appearances. They didn't put a, I'm I'm adding the appearances because their lack of grammar and gradesaver.com is driving me crazy. Appearance, in other words, are deceiving and both blessings and curses tend to wind up looking the same. The story commences with what seems to be a fairly straightforward case of good things happening to good people. Pericles wants to marry the fair daughter of Antiochus, but in order to win her hand, he must correct answer a riddle none before him have figured out. 
Fate seems to be on his side only to quickly pivot when he realizes that the answer implicates Antiochus and the incest, blah, blah, blah. The kidnapping of Marina and subsequent sale to the whoremongers at the brothel has all the earmarks of being anything but a blessing. But it is only by that action that she is saved from murder and placed into the situation which makes the reunion with her father possible. Folks, don't get any of your homework help from Gradesaver.com. They can't even write. Timothy Sexton, who wrote this... My dude, Timothy Sexton, who wrote this oh, at the top, okay. where it says written by Timothy oh, Sexton. My dude. My dude, Timothy Sexton, if you're out there. Um, Grammar check? Just, can you, can you get in touch so that we can have a conversation about what you have done? Like, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. <laughs> um, category number three for the themes of Pericles. Fate is utterly random. It is not just fate. It's not just that fate is out of the hands of men to actively change, nor that it is impossible to recognize when the fates are pushing one down a positive or negative path. Terrible sentence. Timothy, my dude. Another element which facilitates an easy rejection of free will is the sheer randomness those paths of those paths toward destiny. Strange events take place in the play, often with no warning, foreshadowing, or explanation. They do, they just do, because, well, that's how fate works. Pericles alone survives a shipwreck and winds up marrying the daughter of the island's king. That same woman dies during childbirth and is buried at sea, only for her to be found washed ashore and discovered not to be dead after all. And of course, the most absolutely bizarre bit of randomness in the entire Shakespearean canon. What? The Pope of... I don't... What? I don't know. The Pope of all randomness is the very timely appearance of pirates never yet spoken of just in time to rescue Marina from murder and sail her to the very place where her grief-stricken father, stricken father's ship docks is met by the governor who suggests that the fairest woman in all the land might just be the one to penetrate through ugh, through the self-willed vow of Pericles to never speak again. Okay. That was a terrible <sighs> sentence. Wait, Timothy. So is he saying that the weirdest thing in the entire canon are these pirates? Yes. Like, we're not going to talk about the pirates in Hamlet. Oh, no. <sighs> That's or the bear. Or the bear. Or fucking what's Posthumus's weird or, fever dream about right, Jupiter. Yeah, <laughs> Jupiter descending on an eagle isn't the weirdest bit. Fuck you, man. Read a little bit more, Timothy. Or Maybe like your writing would be better. Midsummer. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Timothy yeah. Sexton. I'm really disappointed. I hope that someone out there knows you and hears us and is like, hey, yeah. Timothy Sexton, these girls on the internet don't like what you did. And then maybe we can have them on the yeah. show and we can have a better conversation about it. I do wonder yeah. if, like, some of this might be an English as second language thing. Maybe. Which I don't know. I f would I like that is not an okay thing to harp upon, but it's so nonsensical that yeah, like not to like ethnically profile, but Timothy Sexton sounds like a pretty Anglo-Saxon name. So sure either does. it's a fake name and it is right. an ESL situation, yeah, or your boy Timothy Sexton just can't write well, yeah, or wasn't or paying attention, spell check at all, yeah, or grammar check or any of wow. Yeah. wow, I don't know what's going on with that dude. So, wow. long story short, kiddos, just, like, do your own work. Mm -hmm. I, I I don't know. I just, um, I, I sort of balk at these study guides telling me personally what to think anyway. Um, and I particularly don't trust them mm -hmm. uh, when it comes to Shakespeare. Mm -hmm. um, I used to. I used to. I was lazy as an English teacher, I will admit. And I used, you know, the No Fear editions every once in a while because it was simpler than, like, trying to talk 30 students out of a panic attack all right, at once. Right. Um, and I know a lot of teachers turn to that because of that reason. And I totally get that. But at this, like, and if you're going to do that still, just like still, you know, tackle the language on your own. Um, and then, and, and have your own thoughts about it first. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. don't let these guides or any of these um, aides like tell you what to think about the text before you form your own opinions about it. I don't, I don't know. Sure. Seems, seems like, seems pretty obvious, but yeah. So, um, particularly with a, a text that is less known, less studied, 
like Pericles, it's easy to fall back on this kind of stuff. And I'm here to tell you, don't do it. <laughs> don't do that. Please don't do that. Mm. Yeah. Just yikes. Yeah. Just yikes all over. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, let's yeah. let's do a quick and dirty little Ooh. grad school yeah. advice. Let's, let's talk about yeah. how to grad school. What's yeah, okay. the topic this week? Uh, it's being fully funded. Mm. Um, so so if you have been around, you know that occasionally we talk about like grad school and yep. shit about grad school. So um, this week I wanted to talk about what it means when something is quote unquote fully funded. Um, mm-hmm. And the answer to what does that mean is like nothing. <laughs> that means nothing. It depends on who is saying it. Um, oh, what is intended, I believe, to be meant by that phrase is that you don't need loans to complete our grad program here because we are going to give you a stipend and that will be enough to cover your cost of living and your books and your fees and your parking and whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. However, that is not frequently, frequently, frequently not the case. Um, Fully funding does mean like a sizable stipend. It will cover probably most of your living expenses, some of your fees. Um, Oftentimes, it does not include health insurance. Oftentimes, it is not, um, in fact, fully livable. It is below the poverty line in that place. Um, Mm -hmm. I know several people in departments at places who are quote unquote fully funded and are on food stamps and are working second jobs and are X, Y, and Z. Um, yeah. Taking out loans. Um, so just f- like fully funded is frankly kind of a myth. Um, I'm very lucky that my fully fundedness uh, does include health insurance. It is shitty uh, grad student health insurance, but you know, something's better than nothing. Right. Um, right. And I, I have not uh, had much complaint about the level of care that I am receiving. So that's nice for me, but it's not nice for everyone. Right. The level of funding that you receive will often depend on whether you're a master's student or a doctor student or a, some other kind of student. So I suppose all of that is to just say, like, do your homework and whatever the number is that they give you, figure out if that's actually enough to live on in that place. Uh, You know, think about commuting costs. Think about if you have to pay for a parking permit. My parking permit is like six hundred dollars a year or some shit. It's ridiculous. Yeah, that's I don't know. That's what I have to say ask questions yeah, like, do your homework yeah i mean check out the cost of living in in that area where mm-hmm. the school is mm-hmm. you know and and i suspect because you're in alabama like the right. cost of living is generally lower than it would be in a place like new york chicago sure yes basically anywhere in california so yeah. like a fully funded you know phd mm-hmm. program in like mm-hmm. at berkeley <laughs> like hopefully would reflect also the cost of living in yes. berkeley yeah. you know what i mean um, um there's also hope. I'm just thinking in this moment, I wonder if I can find it. Uh there is a woman on Twitter. Her name is Erin Bartram. B-A-R-T-R-A-M. You can follow her at Erin underscore Bartram. And she is she's running um a Google Doc, which I wonder if I can find and link to. Uh, that has a bunch of different tabs on it, and it's essentially like, what are people making at colleges across the country? So if you are tenure mm-hmm. track, if you're non-tenure track, if you're a full-time instructor, if you're a part-time instructor, if you're a grad student, um, what are you getting paid? What's the workload? That kind of thing. And it's so fucking useful. It's so fucking useful. Uh, to And it really, like, it puts things in perspective and uh, increases transparency in a big damn way um and then we'll also give you probably uh bargaining power and thoughts about like what kinds of questions to ask about the the offer that you get so um link to her website where she then links to the spreadsheet so you can read uh what the spreadsheet is how she manages it where the data comes from um and like 
all of the things. So that's what I have to say. Um, let's gossip. Okay, great. Uh, so for our 201 episodes, we try to start, at least, with uh, play-centric gossip. Um, unfortunately, Pericles Productions, upcoming Pericles Productions, are a little thin on the ground. Yeah, not a popular uh, play. <laughs> at least in my, in my, I mean, very um, cursory research. Uh, I, I go to a couple of different places to check, both across the pond and here, uh, on what's happening. The RSC is going to have it about this time next year. Uh, there is one... Um, big regional theater company slated to do Pericles in 2020, and that is Utah Shakes. What up, Utah? Yeah, so Utah Shakes is going to do it in in 2020, but other than that, I couldn't find shit. So if we missed one, please get in touch. Like, I don't want to overlook your probably gorgeous Pericles production, so let us know if if we've missed one or if you want to give yourselves a, you know, your production a shout out or someone you know. Um, So please correct us on that if we we looked you over. So sorry about that. But, okay, super exciting thing, and I know we're a little late on this, um, but (laughs) National Theatre Live um, has a a subscription service now that you can either subscribe to or buy, like, all all in one package. You can see, like, 11 of their most famous productions, including the 2013-2014-ish Tom Hiddleston Coriolanus, which like, yes, I want to watch it on repeat forever. Hiddleston. Oh, yes. That one. It was pretty sexy. That alone. Oh, so sexy. But he's just, it was such a good production. It was so, so good. Um, and and others that other people are apparently excited about, like the Frankenstein, and yeah, um, Frankenstein's supposed to be great. Yeah, the so. Johnny Lee Miller slash Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah, um, Corey, um, not Corleus. <laughs> Frankenbatch. Frankenbatch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, if that is a thing that interests you, be excited about it because I know I am. Cumberstein. Oh, damn. Like I'm so excited about it. Um, what else we got? Okay, so uh, if you are in or near Tuscaloosa, Alabama, which is very yes. few of our listeners, but like some of our listeners, um, <laughs> if that if Tuscaloosa is within driving distance for you, uh, and you were intrigued by our Macbeth three hundred one episode however many weeks ago now that was, uh, we are doing a staged reading of the Macbeth travesty here on campus on Wednesday, the 6th of November. Um, You can find more details about it at a website that we will put in the show notes uh, that I'm going to link to real quickly here. Um, Improbable Fictions uh, is the name of our staged reading club here club group uh-huh um, thing <laughs> um and they are gonna do it our super fan nick helms is like in charge of it he founded it some number of years ago when he was a student here um and when i found the travesty over the summer i was like look nick i'm not telling you how to do your job but i am saying that i have the entire script of this so here you go uh it does not actually appear to be on their website yet but we're still gonna have the website in our show notes and you can go find it uh or holler at us and i will tell you all the details of when and where it is so sounds amazing yep I would love to see it. It's I'm I'm excited. They're not going to live stream by any chance, are I they? Because man, that'd be great. I just right? would like. Wouldn't I it? would love to see that. Yeah, It'd make me happy. Yeah, I'm I'm excited about it. So, <laughs> I'm not involved in it in any way other than like I found the text and will enthusiastically yeah. go and watch and probably have feelings about how they do it. Um, unless like Nick asked me to say something about it, I don't know. But that has not happened yet. So. Um, Anyway, that's, I think, all the hot goss we got. Yeah, that's what we got. So thank you so much for listening, everybody. We hope you leave this podcast more informed than when you started. Uh, Tune in next time for The Tempest 201. What up? Woo! Yay. Whamlet out. Whamlet out. 
If you enjoyed our podcast, please tell your friends, rate us, leave us a review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. For show notes and other fun stuff, you can visit our website at www.hurlyburlyshakespeareshow.com. Yeah, get in touch with us. Tell us what you're working on and thinking about. Email us at holla at hurlyburlyshakespeareshow.com. You can also find us at hurlyburlyshakes on Instagram. Or at hurlyburlyshake, no S, on Twitter. The Hurly Burly Shakespeare Show is produced and edited by Aubrey Whitlock and Jess Hamlin. All opinions you heard are strictly our own and not affiliated with the institutions we represent. I'm, I like Chase made. That's fine. I'm not going to be salty about it. Okay. <laughs> I just, I can't believe I missed the opportunity to do Pericles on my birthday. That's fucking uh. right. I do Pericles on my birthday. <laughs> yep. Yeah, she do. That's quite anyway, a birthday party. Um, should we? <laughs> anyway, all I was trying to do was do wish you thing. happy birthday. Happy right, fucking birthday. Thanks.